Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. And my goodness, we are keeping it real tonight because we had technical difficulties right down to the last minute. So we're still hustling to gather people on the line. Sounds like we're bringing someone in right now. And, uh, and we'll be starting our show right away. Or will we? <laughs> <laughs> our topic tonight should be stress, I think. The suspense. (laughs) Okay, I'm not sure that this is good radio we're doing right now. That's all right. We'll we'll get through it. We'll get through it. Well, this is the lovely, imperfect, and very real bubble hour. And <laughs> even though we're all super stressed out right now, we are not going to drink about this, are we? Not at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> our, our topic tonight is people-pleasing. And um, ironically, I don't feel like I'm uh, doing a great job as a hostess, a, a party hostess right at the moment. But we're going to... Um, we're going to bring it under control because when you're with people that love you, they forgive your imperfections, right? Absolutely. We're Good. here. We're all okay. here for you. Well, let's get rolling with our show. So um, here's my intro. Here's here's how the show was supposed to start out. <laughs> Hi, everyone. This is Jean. Welcome to the Bubble Hour where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. Are you ready? Because here comes the holiday season, the most wonderful time of the year, say many, and for those of us in recovery, possible also possibly almost the most triggering time of the year. So there's a lot of contributing challenges and factors that we face over the holidays, and tonight we're going to zero in on people-pleasing and how it undermines our ability to join the festivities. So my co-host tonight is Ellie, right, Ellie? That's you Hi. I'm Glad to be here. I'm here. <laughs> oh, thank God. I'm glad you're here. And uh, Amanda is behind the scenes uh, bringing everyone together. Amanda, are you on the line as well? I am. I am. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm just getting one more person. <laughs> okay. Have you been able to get through to that number yet? I haven't. It was incorrect. So if you could text it to me, that would be great. Okay. This is how well, we roll, gonna, people. <laughs> here, this is how we roll. Uh, I'm going to text this guest right now and say we have the wrong number for you. Maybe she's listening. And I can't text and talk at the same time because I have to stick my tongue out in order to tap on my phone. Um, so you can picture that visual. It's really attractive. Um, So, Amanda, I'll try and get you that number and I'll send it to you. Um, Meanwhile, let's meet our other guests. So, I have two ladies on the phone tonight. Perhaps you could both say hello to us and tell us your names. First is Susan. Susan, are you there? This is Susan. Yes. Hi, this is Susan. I'm on the line. Hi, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I apologize for the craziness that is this show tonight, but once we get going, we'll settle in and it'll totally be normal. Just like the holidays. That's what it's like. That's right, and we roll with it, right? (laughs) This is actually like method acting is what this is. (laughs) Uh, So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Susan. And uh, Susan has 21 months, I counted, in sobriety. Is that right, Susan? Yes, exactly. So you're coming up on a big anniversary. And I asked Susan ahead of time, what what word helps her get through the holidays? And Susan said it was that a very short little word, N-O, learning how and when uh-huh. to say it, helps her get through the holidays. 
and um, uh, we well, student, let's just start because I'm gonna, I need a moment to catch my breath and have my heart rate come down. Could I have you just start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and about your recovery journey and what the holidays were like for you when you were still struggling with alcohol? Sure. Um, thanks. I'm glad to join. Um, Tonight, um, my story is I was um, a daily heavy drinker for about 15 years, and I had a lot of binges, um, but despite that, you'd probably call me a high-bottom alcoholic because I had a nice house and a great career and a good-looking husband and kids in private school, but, um, you know, inside, I was just in shambles, just had no self-esteem, full of guilt and shame, and you know, this topic appealed to me because I was living in fear of what other people thought of me, and I was scared to death people would find out that my family was so dysfunctional um, behind the scenes. Um, and, you know, the holidays certainly, um, you know, my what eventually got me sober after um, a lot of appeals from my children who started out young and then became middle school and teens, um, was my 16-year-old daughter ended up in the hospital on New Year's Eve um, with alcohol poisoning. And I thought she was at a slumber party with a few sweet girls, and she was in another part of town. Um, And that was when the light bulb went off for me when I saw her in the ER. And I just knew that, um, you know, my my alcoholism had caught up with my whole family, um, that I couldn't be in denial anymore. And you know, the reality really hit me um, that day. So the holidays are, you know, um, for me, they start on Halloween and they go all the way through Super Bowl Sunday. You know, it's about three months. And when I was drinking, I was on the go all three months. You know, I just looked back and I was exhausted, totally exhausted and overextended. I just was depleted during those that three-month season because I was all things to all people and nothing to myself. And on top of it, I would drink to excess. Um, So besides people-pleasing, you know, I was hungover and I was thinking about the next drink and um, full of shame and guilt. So um, I have a very soft spot for people who are still drinking and trying to get sober during the holidays um, because it's difficult. It's not... um, you know, I think it's a mistake to think it's going to be just like it used to be without alcohol because it is, it's very challenging. And, and for me, I had nine months sober for my first Thanksgiving and I felt like I had taken, you know, a bunch of pop quizzes and then the final, it was the final exam. You know, I was terrified of relapsing over the holidays because of warnings that people had given me. Um, so I, I really had my guard up last year. I did not, I really wanted to start this year with one year sober and not relapse and start all over again during my first holiday season. Wow. That's a a lot of pressure on yourself and how, I mean, I I guess it's pressure we all feel, but do you feel empowered or do you feel a little bit apprehensive? Um, Coming into this one or, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh, you know, it was such a confidence boost, you know, to get through that first round of holidays. And again, you know, it it started on Halloween. Um, That's a big drinking occasion in our neighborhood. And my sobriety date is actually Super Bowl Sunday. That was the first day I um, stuck with not drinking. (laughs) We have Um, a big party for you every year to celebrate now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So getting through all of those hurdles and you know, all the way through the end of January. Um, and I'm I'm seeing it on blogs and things, you know, people they, you know, people got started getting restless around Halloween and now people are anxious about Thanksgiving and it's just you know, it's 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 sustained pressure on all of us for three two or three months. Mm. A lot of media images and mess societal you know, T V and advertisements and friends and Facebook, you know, it's just a lot of um, direct and indirect pressure on us. Exactly. Over people. Yeah, and that last all season, well, you really set the stage for what what this 
time of year like that we're talking about tonight. So let's meet our other guests as well. I think we have everyone on the line now. So Erin, are you there? I am. Hi, Erin. Let me read your introduction here. I had this planned out so magnificently that I would introduce all three of you and things would go <laughs> according to plan. But uh, life imitates art, and uh, this is a this is a dramatic representation of things fall apart. <laughs> anyway, let me introduce you to Erin, who we are very grateful to have on the line. Erin is a stay-at-home mom. Her kids are 14, 11, and 8. And Erin uh, has celebrated, will celebrate one year of sobriety next week. Woo! And yeah, and when I asked Erin to summarize her experience of the holidays in one phrase, her experience in recovery of the holidays in one phrase, she said self protection. Hi, Erin. Hi. (laughs) And um, I also want to introduce Emily. And Emily is a former school teacher who's currently uh, at home with her two preschool children. Emily is probably seven months sober, although her recovery journey began two years before that, and she'll tell us a little bit more about that in a moment. Emily's survival phrase for the holidays is, keep it simple. Hi, Emily, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi. Yeah, hey, hi. (laughs) So, um... Emily, I'm going to have you tell us a little bit about yourself now. I know a few school teachers, and I know that when when um, people are teaching, that the weeks before Christmas break are a really stressful time. And then teachers, it seems to me, seem to be super creative types and like to plan elaborate parties for friends and families in addition to their classrooms. So was this your experience um, when you were teaching and also when you were struggling with addiction, and tell us a little bit about what things were like for you over the holidays before and after your recovery. Okay. Um, So I think I'll start by telling a little bit about my journey and what got me to recovery. Um, I started drinking in college, and um, it slowly, not actually kind of quickly, became a everyday thing and that continued on through the end of college and after college I didn't seem like a lot of people kind of stopped the college partying and I definitely just continued it continued doing that in my life um I was high functioning definitely I kept a full-time job and like you were saying Jean it was like ask Ask me to do anything. I'm a teacher and I'll do it. I'll volunteer for everything. <laughs> and so my plate was always very full, but I I never, um, I I was always, five o'clock had to have, had to have wine. So um, that just continued on until I started, until I started feeling like noticing how much I hated myself and just the, just how how broken I was inside. And even though maybe from the outside you couldn't tell, I was just so lost and broken. And um, when I got pregnant the first time, my husband and I wanted children, but I always thought I need to get my life together before we have kids. And I found mm-hmm. out I was pregnant, and I remember crying and crying and feeling like I am I can't do this. I can't be a mom. I, I can't eat. I'm, I not I can't be a mom. I need to get my life together first. But um and and as soon as I had had him, um, slowly I started having a glass of wine at night and then it became um a day a nightly thing again and then one glass turned to two to three to a bottle and I was breastfeeding and managing that was just impossible. And it was so hard to feel like I am not the mom I thought I would be. I am not I, I hate this person and just so so lost and I stopped teaching at that point and um and it was a stay-at-home mom and then I kind of reached out a little because I felt so controlled so powerless over alcohol and um I remember just looking at my baby crying thinking I want a better life than this for you um and I remember kind of reaching out to my older sister who was in codependent recovery and just kind of telling her, I think I have a problem. I, I know that a lot of people wouldn't believe this, 
which it doesn't matter because it's in me and I know. And um, and she was awesome to talk to and she sent me a book. And then I started reading blogs and the Bubble Hour, listening to the Bubble Hour, which is huge. I love that. I love it in my toolbox. And um, Crying Out Now and um, kind of researching and, and finally made it to a recovery meeting. And then I found out soon after that that I was pregnant again with my second and we weren't trying yet. And so I kind of stepped back from recovery, stayed sober because I was pregnant. Then as soon as we had our baby, we didn't know what we were having. And I had a little girl and, oh, my gosh, I mean, what an incredible bond and just pure love. And, you know, of course I felt love for my son too, but that I just felt like when I looked into her eyes, I thought, I want to be a good example to you. And I started recovery right away, and I started weekly therapy, and I stayed sober for about nine months. And then I relapsed, and then I relapsed again two months later, and then I relapsed again two months later, and Mm -hmm. I saw, whoa, there's a cycle happening here. And I remember going to my sponsor, and she said to me, Emily, you have got to make a choice. You've got one foot in your drinking world, and you've got one foot in your sober world. And that was so right on. It was like I wasn't, I had never had true acceptance. I was still grieving the the loss of that, even though it brought so much harm, that, that, you know, that escape and that, um, and in a lot of my friendships, it was based around alcohol. And so I, I had to give up a lot of friendships and, and um, it was a really, really hard thing for me to accept and took a long time. And I knew I had to make a decision. I knew that I couldn't, that it can't, I had to, to make a choice and I, and I, and I chose. And, and I know it's still one day at a time, but now it's been seven months. And when I made that choice, I started really doing some work, working my recovery daily. Every day when I get up, I started off with recovery and um and, yeah, it's, uh, I just feel so grateful for every single day. And I kind of just had another little rut at seven months where I started feeling like getting a little feeling a little weak. So I know that that's a red flag and um, just, you know, doing the next right thing. So um, the holidays when I was drinking, I would overcommit, do everything, and feel like it had to be the best. I'm going to – I'm not going to get by my in-laws presents, I'm going to make them presents, and they're going to be perfect, and I'm going to crochet them beautiful scarves, and I'm, and I'm going to bake cookies and tons of them and put them in the freezer so when we go visit, I have tons of things to bring out. It was extreme. Everything was extreme, um, and and always didn't feel good enough, which ties into the people-pleasing. It was like, I just felt like a little more, a little more, a little more. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and then numb out at 5 o'clock because I'll never be good enough. Um, It's drastically different in sobriety and um, just so much more full, so much more full. So I I probably talked for a long time, but um, I I have – should I talk a little about my my, uh, sober holidays or do you want me to wait? Um. Let's. Uh, I'm. I'm loving everything you're saying. By the way, you're really you. helping us here, and uh, I'm learning lots from you. Um, you. Let me. Let me uh, have Aaron chat for a few minutes, and then I'm going to okay, ask great. each of you about the holidays. So, Aaron, I'm guessing you have a busy household um, with three <laughs> kids on the go. How is the Christmas season different for you as it approaches this year versus prior years? And how did people-pleasing play a role for you in that? Yeah. Um, when I think about the holiday season, I really have to look back to 2012. That's when I was still drinking. And I had never considered my behavior around the holidays as people-pleasing until I got sober. Um, I think people-pleasing for me looks a lot like um, showing off and staging the quote-unquote perfect holiday. I think perfectionism plays a a really big role in my people-pleasing, playing the martyr, um, Mm. looking like I'm giving and giving and giving when really it's kind of for um, to feel superior or 
like someone had said before, that self-esteem issue. I think I just wanted to do enough so that I would be liked enough or admired enough for okay. these, you know, superficial things that I was doing. Um, 2012, I hosted my entire, entire family um, for Christmas. And all I can remember of that Christmas is the stress, the drinking, and the stress and the drinking. I mean, that's really all I can remember. It was utter chaos. Maybe other people had a nice time. I have no idea. I was... um, I was taking my sister's Xanax on the fly because I was so stressed, which just made me, I mean, you know, just made me more drunk and and insane. Um, It it was very, very hard. And I continued, you know, through that next year of 2013 drinking. And I remember around October of 2013 really understanding that I needed to get sober. My marriage was was falling apart for no clear reason. Um, My anxiety was through the roof. Um, My depression was was very, very bad. And I just, I knew. It was like the one thing that I hadn't tackled was the drinking. And I knew that I needed to. But I remember it was October and I had started listening to the Bubble Hour and I had found sober blogs and things like that. And I remember thinking, I have to be insane to consider getting sober before the holidays. Mm-hmm. And I just and that thought just kept running through my head for weeks. I and I couldn't quit for several weeks because of that. I remember Halloween coming up and thinking there's no way I'm even going to pretend to try. Um and I didn't. But you know, when you're done you're done and November 20th I was done and I still thought I was quite insane to um get sober before the holidays. But my short story um, about the holidays of last year, which were my first holidays sober, by holidays I'm talking Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, they were the most peaceful, beautiful (laughs) holidays I have ever had, ever had. But it it took a lot of tools, um, to allow that to happen. But so I have a very soft spot for anyone considering getting sober before the holidays because it seems I mean maybe people, you know, in the summer think it would be crazy to get sober now, but I I just know for me with the holidays looming and sunny, I thought I've got to be crazy to consider getting sober. But you know, I I kind of feel like walking talking proof that it is so much better. Mm. So much better, but you've got to have the tools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. It yeah. is. And it makes me think of a, <clears throat> I've heard a lot of people say, well, they like to quit on a Monday because, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. then by, by the time the first weekend rolls around, then, you know, they've got a few days under their belt so they feel prepared to handle the weekend. But then if they don't make it on that Monday, then, well, then, you know, they don't try again until the next Monday. And so really there's always a, there's always a reason. Uh-huh. To not quit if you if you're not really if you're looking for a reason you can always find one to talk yourself mm-hmm. out of making any big change whether it's you know a budget or a diet or a you know or something as big as as quitting drinking so and really Aaron as you talk about that cycle of of just depression anxiety drinking depression anxiety drinking did you feel like the holidays just really threw um, fuel onto that fire in the past. Surely, I mean, if if I can remember <laughs> and and clarify my my past that easily, I'm I'm sure it did because mm-hmm. there's a lot of you know for me there was a lot of pressure to do it right, make it look right, host you know host all the people and look awesome doing it, and it was absolutely a cycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ellie, you're listening quietly. Do you relate to what you're hearing? I can here? absolutely relate to what I'm hearing, and I, you know, I'm thinking about the perfectionist thing and the trying to do everything perfectly. When I was drinking, I definitely, that was part of my, 
experience also, and part of that was a, a mask, I think, to, that people wouldn't look too deeply onto what was going on on the inside if I just, you know, had a, my forks polished and in line and the right napkin rings and things like that. <laughs> yep. um, and that was a really hard habit for me to break in, in early sobriety. It took me a while to really find that peaceful, beautiful moment over the holidays, um, you know, a couple of years sober, and it wasn't until I started to let go of that that sort of ingrained habit of trying to look good on the outside so everybody thought my insides were okay um you know when they but it's so freeing when i could finally get to that to that place and uh you know it's as somebody who's relapsed before i think it was one of the first things that came back was that perfectionist slash people pleasing and um mm-hmm. you know I, we actually just got a tweet on our on our page here on our twitter page at at the bubble hour and somebody said people pleasing is yet another form of ego manifest ego manifested and i thought yeah you know it's mm-hmm. interesting it's i did it because i felt like i wasn't good enough but it definitely had something to do with me trying to appear a certain way you know my ego was firmly in control so i can absolutely relate to everything people are saying well, this is when, Aaron, um let me just hop in hop onto that really quickly I don't want to make it sound like my first holiday season sober was magical and beautiful because I had achieved some sort of enlightenment. Um, A a rather large tool in my toolbox is that I make myself ignore those feelings. That's a great point. Well, a lot of what I did, I did so people would like me because there's, you know, I, I think alcoholics talk a lot about that hole, you know, that God... God-sized hole or whatever, that kind of emptiness feeling inside that you don't want other people to see. I I struggle a lot with believing that I'm lovable and likable just for me. Um, But I knew that if I wanted to stay sober or get sober, that just had to go on a shelf for a while. And that is a work in progress to really believe that who you are just completely, messily, imperfectly, is okay. I mean, that's really hard work, and I'm sure it's going to take a lot of years. I just want to say that a big tool in my toolbox is I'm not allowed to really dig into that right now. You know, that's a really that important important discrepancy, I think, too. And I, and I, it makes perfect sense to me. And I think sometimes that it almost feels like two voices to me. You know, that the awareness mm-hmm. of the behavior is kind of the only chance that I have to. Um, you know, forgive myself and kind of go gently, to go gentle on myself. Like these are old habits; they're going to die hard, and it's okay that they come to the surface. But if I um, don't pay too much attention to them, sort of my recovery voice can come in and say, "It's okay. You know, mm-hmm. you just do the best you can and move on." This is Jean. I have you're to talking say, about. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was go just going to jump in and say it, it came as an utter shock to me to hear the idea that being a people pleaser, which I always thought was being considerate of others, is one of the greatest and most dishonest forms of manipulation. Mm-hmm. And I, my jaw hit the ground when I heard that because I always saw it as being a really good thing and being a really um, caring thing I was doing. And as soon as I heard that, it nailed me. I knew that was 100% true. I knew I was doing things to make people like me instead of to just be kind or just be generous, you know. And it was about me, not about them. And that was a shock to me. And as I did a little bit of research for this show, I uh, I um, came to read that one of the main sources for people-pleasing comes down to a fear of failure or rejection. <clears throat> so I'm just curious to hear from each of you if you really identify that as being a root cause of people pleasing and and trying to create the perfect holiday. Susan, how do you feel about that? Absolutely. And I think you even shared that, Jean, on um, a former bubble hour, but that about being manipulative, that really struck me to my core, too, Mm -hmm. and people pleasing that it's not always well-intentioned. And now being in recovery and really checking my intentions, I see how often... (laughs) They're awry. Um, you know, a, a term I heard once at a conference, work-related, but it was um, from a famous person, and she said she was always auditioning. And I see that so much. You know, like I look back over the holidays and think, even with my in-laws, you know, 22 years 
as their daughter-in-law up until the last Christmas. You know, I still was auditioning for the part of daughter-in-law of the year. You know, I never... <laughs> I I was so, you know, I that fear of failure that, you know, what what if I'm not the first one up in the morning, you know, to make the coffee? What if I'm not the last one up playing a game? What if I'm not up for the walk? You know, whatever it was, um just I didn't want to fail on, you know, didn't want to disappoint them or um fail in my role, you know, acting as in the role of daughter-in-law this season. Um so that Definitely fear of failure and, you know, the perfectionism, you know, something that just now occurred to me on, I used to put so much energy into our holiday cards and I would spend so much money, you know, it would have to be the right picture and it'd be custom and handwritten and I'd spend hours assembling them and, you know, I wouldn't want a card that anyone else had used and, you know, ironically, my family was in shambles. I mean, the irony now that I see it of the picture, you know, <laughs> I was trying so hard to portray our family. Um, and I thought I was thoughtful by remembering everybody I'd ever met with on our card list, you know, and sending them a personal card. But really, you know, it was so self-serving looking back, trying to present this image that, that wasn't real, Um that we were happy and healthy and intact, and that was far from the truth. And last year, I didn't send a Christmas, you know, my first year sober, I didn't send holiday cards. Um, and I used to, you know, mock people that brought their cards at Costco thinking, oh, my God, that's just so, you know, cheap and easy and lazy. Well, I didn't even send one last year because that became so unimportant to me. Um when it was probably one of my highest priorities the year before when I was still drinking. I was just I was just gonna ask you, you said that you sort of answered the question I was gonna ask this is Ellie, like did it was that a hard thing for you to do or not? But you said it just lost its priority that it seemed you know because I, I still find it hard to back away from those kind of obligatory things that I are, are in that big list of I should, you know, that the world mm-hmm. is just waiting with bated breath for my holiday card to arrive. And I, it makes me right. feel kind of itchy and uncomfortable <laughs> to back away from things like that. Do you, is that something that you find is, is easier for you because your priorities have shifted? Um, you know, it was just, uh, you know, a lot. I got the advice last year, you know, despite it being huge, the holidays and it could take us under it's also just another day and you know it's not the only Christmas that will ever come God willing you know there will be another one and another one and if I don't send the card last year I can still send one this year and the following year I could send twice as many and the next year I could send half as many you know that absolute thinking of all or nothing or forever Mm -hmm. or never um, that's been a shift for me in recovery is you know, it, it doesn't have to be that way always. Last year, it, it was not, it, I didn't need to get a holiday card out. Mm-hmm. Um, I also felt, you know, it was really disingenuous. Our family was a mess. <laughs> I was in recovery. Our marriage was failing, and I just, there wasn't a picture that could capture that. <laughs> 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 Do you find, Susan, that you really value honesty like i find now honesty just comes as such a relief to me to just be able to speak the truth and not try to create some perfect version of it or image of it do you find that now that as you gain value for that that these other things lose their appeal or you value them differently Oh, definitely. You know, that's honesty so liberating and even last year with 9 months i was still really afraid around the holidays of people watching me and wondering if I was drinking or did they know I don't drink anymore. And this year, a year later, I could really care less. You know, it's just, that's that's who I am now. Um, I'm closer, I'm a more honest person to, you know, kind of like was said earlier, one foot in, one foot out. Last year, this year I have both feet in and so it's it's much less of an issue. It's, It's it's honestly who I am. It's being true to and myself, I don't think. Susan, you mentioned your in-laws and trying to be the perfect daughter-in-law, but I think I remember that you're recently divorced. Is that correct? And have you had to sort of mourn that 
that lost chance to be perfect for them, or how does that feel for you now? Yeah, last Christmas was, um, we we were still together. We, we just separated this August, and last mm. Christmas um, I created World War Three by suggesting that we stay in a, a hotel for the holidays instead of in their home, as we had, you know, 22 times before. Mm-hmm. And there was so much resistance to that. Um, you know, I got all kinds of pot shots about, you know, how's the sweet life? And, you know, we stayed in an $89 a night, you know, business hotel <clears throat> next to the freeway. <laughs> um, but I knew for me that I needed some extra space and I needed to sleep well and I didn't want to be constantly watched. And if people were drinking, I wanted to be able to leave. Good for you. Um, and it really, it was my salvation. It was not popular, and I was surprised by how much resistance. They tried to talk us out of it. My husband tried to talk me out of it. And even once I, you know, we stayed with the plan, every day there was you know, probably three or four passive-aggressive comments about the hotel. And, um, you know, you would think I did something. <laughs> so I can't imagine what they're saying now that <laughs> <laughs> that rocked their world, <laughs> but um, yeah, that that is actually a big. You know, now I wonder a lot, and I've had to let that go. What are they saying? What are they thinking? Whose fault do they think it is? That the that the people I want them to still think I was a good daughter-in-law and a good mother, and that I tried. You know, and I have to let that. I, I can completely please. relate to that. I'm in a very similar situation. I'm newly separated and staring down the barrel of my first holidays, um, oh. you know, without, without the same traditions and things. And it's it's a very odd sensation of profound relief and, you know, extreme desire to people please at the same time. You know, I, I there are many aspects of that that I know will be more peaceful for me because I – and I'm still so – you know, I'm, I'm still pretty newly sober, and after my relapse, and I definitely, um, and I'm working on boundaries, but I don't really trust myself not to fall into people-pleasing mode if I'm around people who really elicit that in me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can tell myself that I don't want to do it, but then when I'm, you know, face-to-face with the people who make me want to people-please the most, I still can find myself falling back into it. And so I'm pretty grateful that my holidays will be more contained and, and more private and quiet but it's definitely going to be very different and it's definitely a struggle so I can relate to to what you said I'm guessing that has to be a really mindful effort for both of you I mean being your first holiday season on your own and I could if it if if I were in your position, I would be posting all of these idiot pictures on Facebook of like, you know, look how much fun we're having. Look at the cookies we're making. I am fine. This is great. Best Christmas ever. And again, passive aggressive, uh, totally codependent, you know, seeing yourself through others' eyes. And yet I I know that would be a real struggle to uh Stay mindful of it. So I'm going to be checking on both of you. Okay. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm sure Thank you're both you. a whole lot smarter than me, but I'll give you. you no, know, the a... temptation is definitely there. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. <laughs> Look at me having fun. Well, uh, Emily, let me ask you: How about that feeling of uh, avoiding failure or rejection? Do you do you push against that? Do you see that as a something that? sort of the inclination to people please and have you gone have you spoiled your children in the past to sort of avoid um, rejection from them how does it manifest for you well um, with my children since they're still so young um, I guess it's still possible when they're young uh, we I haven't really done it with my children um, and especially uh, I think keeping it simple, even with them, we do three presents a child, and that helps because I know how it is around the holidays. Um, it's like, especially walking through a store, but I should get this, I should get this. Oh, my kid would love this. So it's nice for me to kind of set limits right away. Um, but, oh, yeah, people-pleasing, fear the, oh, yeah. I mean, um, I think that we as humans have, want to belong we have a need for belonging and I think for me so many years of of abusing myself but but wanting to feel 
worthy and wanting to feel valuable, but not getting any of that from myself. It's almost like I was always trying to prove myself, trying to prove myself, and um, um, but never felt good enough. And I think now it's so, it's so different in recovery, feeling like, and it's a day-to-day thing because I know these feelings come back and um, often, but with people-pleasing, just I feel like if I can keep my picture full, if I can have good self-care, my baseline of self-care, which is like get enough sleep, drink enough water, take 30 minutes to get outside and run or walk, um, practice gratitude, then I don't have the desire so much to to try to prove myself or to to or the fear of um, not being enough or the fear of not belonging or um, so I feel like that has really helped. I mean, uh, being sober has really helped kind of create that inner shift, like to to know I am enough and um, but it's still it's still a daily thing. I mean. It's good. It, it's definitely uh, not something that just happens every day uh, without without intention. And but I'm I'm so grateful for that. So grateful because before it was never ending. I mean, I remember I I loved. I always thought I loved the holiday season. It was like yes, there will be alcohol everywhere, and um, I'm gonna do it up big, I'll have a party, I'll do everything, but I was so empty. And now it's so simple, but it's so full. Mm -hmm. So where's the line for that? Let me ask you, I I love the decorations. I love things to look, you know, great and perfect and beautiful. And I, I do have a little bit of a problem with anxiety and OCD, literally, so... I, I, like I can't have a decoration on my tree that doesn't match. Like it's like someone's screaming out of tune, you know. And so I, I have to really personally strike that balance between doing a, appropriate amount and um, not going too far. And I'm still really learning that. Can any of you speak to that? Have you found any strategies for sort of pulling it back and? And still doing what needs to be done, doing what you want to do, but not going too far. Erin, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I do. Um, one big red flag for me is when I'm working on something and I start feeling resentment because mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big red flag for me that I'm doing. I, I'm probably engaged in some martyr type behavior. What do you do then? How do you check that? You know, honestly, sometimes I kind of force myself to be imperfect. Um, You're like, so brave. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, but, you know, like saying, well, you know what? I'm going to go buy some store-bought mashed potatoes. Like, shame on me, but I'm going to do it just to force myself to understand that no one is going to die. <laughs> the world won't end. You know, it's a it's a lesson that I need to learn as well because for me, things need to be perfect also and I have very high expectations, almost unreachable, really unreachable expectations of myself. Um, so it's almost like a... Pra- not that I mess things up necessarily, but countering that drive to be perfect with some practiced imperfection, if that makes any sense, kind of helps show me and re-educate myself that everything is okay, that lots of people don't even notice. You know what I mean? Okay, I love this. So you challenge yourself, like you pick something out and say, I'm intentionally going to go and do this to a standard that's out of my comfort zone to prove to myself. This isn't if really a if I'm yeah especially if I'm feeling overloaded. Ah, I love that. That's great. And has it always worked out well so far? No one's died. 
the world is still spinning on its axis, so I think everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is Emily. I just wanted to say one thing that that helps me is um, when I start to say, I should do this. I should mm-hmm. make these cookies. I should send out these. I should take a picture for a perfect card or whatever. I fall into that card trap, too. I change, try changing the word should to could and say, like, I could make a cake, but I'm not going to. Or I could, <laughs> you know, I could I could um, buy ten more presents for each person, or I couldn't. And that helps me, just kind of giving, always giving myself the choice. And another thing that helps me is... Um, to uh, I can't remember what I was gonna say. Glad <laughs> <laughs> well, this happens to more people and not just me. <laughs> One thing that um, this is Susan and to my word for the holidays. No, you know this that kind of gets me thinking that I find you know that if I can cut something off at the past, so decorating is not so much the issue, but like a social invitations. I realize um, by saying no, then I don't stress about having the perfect outfit. Then I don't stress about the perfect hostess gift. I don't stress about the perfect appetizer and that whole cascading. It's not just the invitation that I'm saying no to <laughs> right. um, or the not drinking. You know, that's that's the leading reason, you know, when I would decline a lot of invitations because of the alcohol but it's all of the things that it brings up in me and, you know, the scurrying around, shopping, and trying to find the right pair of shoes and you know, spending 48 hours to do everything perfectly for this two-hour, you know, holiday open house. So I just, you know, for me saying no is really um, to avoid a lot of those, you know, the pre and the post um, party. It's not just the party I'm saying no to. It's just not mm-hmm. inviting all of that chaos and perfectionism and pleasing into my world. And someone gave me a good tip and they said, you know, when you accept an invitation, to ask yourself, if it were tomorrow, would you still say yes? Because we say yes to a lot of things that are a week off or two weeks and it's like, oh, that'll sound good. And then it rolls around and we have no interest in going. Um, <laughs> And that helps me a lot. I think, no, if it was tomorrow night, there's no way I'd give up my night to go to that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, well, then say no. You know, say no. Um, and that's just been really freeing to, to send regrets to some things. Um, Along those lines, of it, it's related to, um, you know, healthy boundaries, which is a lot of what we're talking about here and saying no to invitations. And it's not, you know, like you bring up, not just about whether or not there's alcohol there or not. But um, one of the things that I'm finding is a current struggle for me is when it comes to family members. I mean, even in my family of origin and having to explain my newfound boundaries and why I'm not, you know, falling into line with what we've always done um, I'm having to say no to some things Just be, not even just because of the alcohol just because I need to be in a very safe contained place this year and um, in my, my recovery community and I know that it's because I'm getting better and I'm learning that I don't have to go to every fight I'm invited to um, but that I also it's, it's hurtful to them and I am, I would love to hear anybody's take on I'm trying to let them have their own reactions to my new decisions, to my new boundaries, but it's very, very hard. I feel like apologizing a lot, and I feel like trying to make them feel better about my decisions, and that's another way that my people-pleasing certainly comes to the surface. So what has been the response within your your family and, and friends to um, you turning things down or not showing up or doing things differently, and how do you handle their response if it's not favorable? Anybody? Sorry, I'm just turning it off to the crowd here. Uh, this is Jean. I'm going to jump in while our guests think about that for a minute, Ellie, because I, I want to share with you that um, uh, I've been sort of figuring out something similar, I mean, under different circumstances, but really trying to get comfortable with the idea of letting people have their opinions of me and not being manipulative and not trying to make them like me or at least if they don't like me, I have a reason to be really mad about that because I did everything perfectly, right? 
Right. So to really give them ownership of that. And one thing I've come to realize is that the people in my life that are in my family of origin, my extended family, long-term friends, that when you have a confrontation and you really take someone to task and you behave badly, you can really damage those bonds. But generally, if you hang back and just stay quiet, that those those bonds are going to stand the test of time. So um, let's say let's say an ex-husband or a um, a sister that's, you know, maybe you don't see that much anymore. Um, if you had a big blowout with them, that would take a long time to heal. But if you just hang back and just give it some space and just do nothing, you know? Like maybe you don't go to that party, but you send flowers. And maybe, you know, or you um, send some baking or something. So you still have a kind gesture, but you just gracefully bow out. I find that time will give you the opportunity to rebuild those relationships in the future as long as you don't burn bridges in the meantime. That's, That's the strategy I'm taking right now. So I'm really finding that there's some, some people in my life that I used to be close to that are just it just feels weird right now, and I think it has a lot to do with my recovery journey and that they don't quite feel comfortable with it. And I need to just let that be and trust that, you know, we're still going to be related when we're 90 years old. And it might take that long, but but that, that it would, time will bring you back together. Hmm. It just does. Your your paths, your your lives are interwoven. So those opportunities will come back. So that's what I'm counting on, is that if I just hang back and just, then maybe they'll be like, oh, yeah, she wasn't there that year. Oh, yeah, that was the year that, yeah, where were you that Yeah, that's a great perspective. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Well, I hope it works, but that's what I'm... <laughs> <laughs> That's no, what like I'm it. banking on. Susan, what do you think of this idea? Well, I, I really like what you what you just said, Jean, and I think that's true to give it space and time and, you know, it doesn't all have to happen now and overnight. We're, you know, I hope we're all on a long-term recovery journey and it's with us for many, many years. Um, so, you know, one thing I tend to do is I overcompensate a lot. So, you know, this isn't the holidays, but a friend just turned 50 and I declined um, the bar crawl birthday party. But then I reached out to her. You know, I was so worried what people would think of me not going and sliding her that I ended up taking her to, you know, a $60 dinner that I did not, you know, she's not a good enough friend to do that. And it was all me you know, pleasing and think, worrying what people think and, um, you know, what you said, something simple, a nice card or a bouquet of flowers on her porch would have sufficed that I was trying to send a message, my intentions weren't good, of, you know, I'm not under the radar and I'm still getting out, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. And that that was a people-pleasing. And, you know, so I think the small gesture, the good intention, that, that's good advice. I tend to... I tend to overcompensate, um, do things a little to excess, and um, I need to dial it back. That was good advice. You bring up an interesting point, too, Susan, with that, and this is something I had jotted down to remind everyone of, too, is that this is the time of year where financial stress is probably at its greatest for a lot of people. And that is one of the worst kind of pressures that we can be under. And as people in recovery, we need to be really mindful of things that can not only be undermine our recovery, but that can put so much pressure on us that they threaten to relapse, that we become so uncomfortable that, you know, we we uh, feel like we need to drink to get out of it. And so when it comes to financial stresses, I think it's really important to realize that if you give simple gifts or give homemade gifts or or don't give a gift, um, write a poem, write a song, um, make a video for somebody. Um, whatever you do to protect your finances um, at this time of year will help protect your sobriety. Um, protecting yourself emotionally and physically protects your sobriety. And I had dotted down to come back to the the good old acronym HALT, which almost everyone has heard. When you feel like you need to drink, are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? And those things are almost part and parcel of the holiday season. I mean, 
sometimes, you know, if we have to wear some slinky cocktail dress, well, we'll skip lunch before that event and skip supper and think we'll just eat hors d'oeuvres all night. And by the time the party comes, you know, you're, you've put yourself into a very weakened position just by virtue of the fact that you arrive hungry at a party and then a tray of champagne goes past you. Um, mm-hmm. Angry and lonely. Um, Aaron, you talked about being a martyr. I'm guilty of that too. And I think there's nothing that makes you feel more angry and more lonely than playing the martyr role. And then just physically being tired and doing too much and um, being worn out and exhausted. So these are all things that we're not just sort of looking after ourselves and protecting ourselves, but we, when we protect our recovery and protect our sobriety, we're really protecting the people we love too. So I think... That's important to get to. And I wanted to point out that I had done this fantastic research that said something uh, about the negative side effects of people-pleasing. And it makes me laugh because everything on this list, you guys already said in your own stories. (laughs) So you didn't do the book research that I did. You did the the real-life research. You've lived it. And, And so I'm taking you as the authorities that validate this. But just to sort of bring together some of the things that you said. Some negative side effects of people-pleasing include neglected self-care, passive aggressiveness, resentments, stress, depression, lowered enjoyment, and being taken advantage of. And again, all of these things undermine our recovery. So we think we're in good girl mode when right around the time when we start to think that, gosh, I'm really, I'm really doing this awesome. I deserve a gold star. I'm really being fantastic at this. As Aaron mentioned, as soon as you start to feel those resentments kick in or any of those negative side effects, you need to know that you're actually harming yourself by by falling into people pleasing mode. So, I'm giving all of you a gold star for preempting that <laughs> your own stories. So, as we as we kind of um, are nearing the last few minutes of our show, what I want to know from each of you is what's your vision for the holiday season and what are you most looking forward to in the weeks to come. Emily, let's start with you. Oh, okay. Um, Well, I think definitely being present. Uh, That's such a gift of sobriety. Um, Trying to um, just be in each day, um, putting definitely putting sobriety as the top priority keeping um and and enjoying enjoying uh the christmas music and the trying to uh trying to practice that saying no and um i also just wanted to say about saying no i think that being a people pleaser as I am, it's it's really hard for me to say no, and it's really still hard for me to tell my friends I don't drink because I'm trying to control their feelings. It's like I don't want them to feel nervous. I don't want them to feel um, I don't want them to feel sad. I don't want them to feel like I'm not fun anymore, and that's hard for me. It's a hard skill, but you know I'll keep on. Uh, practicing it or or trying to at least but yeah excited about and I think it's so fun kids stuff is so fun around Christmas I mean my son is already so excited like how many days how many days and um yeah so I guess just um yeah I think that kind of sums up what I'm excited for that's awesome Susan how about you what are you excited for as the season comes near you know, I'm just trying this month. I woke up um, November 1st and thought, it's a month of gratitude. And I'm just really trying to spray in gratitude this month. Um, that's why we have all of, you know, the Target ads and everything. Is that's, the, that's why we do it. And, you know, next month for me, you know, it's a, it's a very spiritual month because of my faith. And I'm just really trying to stay, you know, gratitude and spiritual you know, those are the cornerstones of November and December and trying to stay in those two words. Um, the, you know, the real, the true meaning behind mm-hmm. everything we do or don't do um, these next two months. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Erin, how about you? Um, 
Well, <laughs> I we're building a house right now, and we actually just got our closing date, and it's December 22nd. <laughs> so this is this is putting a really kind of wacky spin on my Christmas this year, but it's it's forcing me to draw some boundaries. Um, I actually might just get all my kids like a gift card <laughs> for Christmas, and I I told my family that nobody's coming, obviously. Um, so I've really really had to downgrade my expectations of myself, but I have enjoyed this show so so much like i said this is a this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart because it's i was right on the cusp of these major holidays when i when i did get sober um i really took seriously the advice of those that had come before me in this recovery journey um i really took seriously um, I focused on gratitude. I did not touch any alcohol. I didn't pour it. I I still don't. I, I won't buy it. Um, I have to suspend my judgment of myself and my my projected judgment of what others think about me, my perceived judgment of what others think. I really have to suspend that. It's, it is a practice. And a, a test of my will to do that. Um, I really have to downgrade expectations of myself, and I have to downgrade my expectations of others. I really actually have to let go of my expectations of others. Um, I have to ask for help, and I have to allow myself to receive help. That's been big for me. Um, one thing that was really helpful to me last Thanksgiving um, because it was, what, like seven days after I I had been like seven days sober or something, and I had gotten a tip from someone else about having like um, like an escape pod, <laughs> an escape place. So I hosted Thanksgiving at my house last year, and I set up my closet with like bunches of big fluffy pillows, and I had magazines in there, and I had like a glass of water in there, and every now and then during Thanksgiving, like after dinner, I would go and get in my closet. I'm so serious. <laughs> and I would look at Facebook I love and look this. at my magazines. My, it was so funny because my mother-in-law at one point was going, Aaron, Aaron. And I just I just had to tell myself, you're not going to answer. You're not. And I did not. <laughs> and she stopped Good calling for you. me. <laughs> and nobody died, you know. You really have to have a plan. You can go outside and take a walk. You can go in the bathroom for 20 minutes if you need to and and have somebody that you can text or, or you know, a Facebook friend you can message or something like that. Um, having a wingman was important to me. I also, I had planned on hosting a New Year's Eve party, which is a little bit of a longer story that I will not get into don't do that if you're in early sobriety. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> Let me just, I promise you, just you'll be so glad that you didn't. But I had a wingman. I had told my best friend that I had stopped drinking, and she was very happy for me, and she's a very, very normal drinker. She almost would rather not drink, which is crazy, but hey. Um, but she knew, and she was one of the only people at the party who knew. So if someone was, you know, coming at me with their boozy breath, she would kind of step in and I would slip out the back door. It was very, very helpful to have someone who knew that I needed help. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. I could Those just, like, great glint. suggestions. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, it was very helpful. But don't host a New Year's Eve party. But um, uh, <laughs> I have to say that that is possibly my favorite piece of advice and story that anyone has ever shared on the bubble hour and taking the concept of the bubble to the literal physical level of making yourself a closet bubble. I love that. That is so fantastic. I I took seriously, when I got sober, (laughs) I took dead seriously the advice of people who had been sober for a while. I took them seriously and literally, and I had to suspend judgment of myself. Good for you. And it worked. Well, that's fantastic. Yay. 
Yeah. Well, you guys, this has just been such a great show. I feel I feel really ready to put my Christmas tree up this week. I feel ready to start baking some squares and just enjoying it and not being too crazy about it. And I'll be I'll be listening and re-listening to this show, except for the first three minutes, which were just <laughs> bloody awful. My sincere apologies to our listeners and to all of you, but life is an adventure. And we Keeping just it real. we persevere. Yep. <laughs> Ellie, do you have any closing thoughts before we? Oh, sign I just off want to say it? thank you so much to our guests. I really, I, I am in one of the reasons I wanted to co-host the show is that I, I need advice, and I love that about community and talking to people. I mean, this is going to be a very challenging holiday season for me for a number of reasons, and. Gosh, you know, that me too factor, just hearing other people feel the way I feel, talk the way I talk, think the way I think, and that you guys have faced these things and come out with such um, grace and, and uh, you know, wonderful advice. And it's just, it's been a fantastic experience for me. So thank you very much. Yeah, really great. Emily, Susan, and Erin, thanks to each of you for being with us mm-hmm. tonight and for sharing your hearts. We just really, really appreciate it. I hope you'll come back again. Will you all come back if we have you on another show? Thank you. Yes, and we'll keep listening. Thanks <laughs> so much, you guys. That's <laughs> really you. good. I also I want to also say thank you to Amanda. We didn't hear her at all on the show tonight. That's because she's the wizard behind the curtain that was dealing with all these crazy technical issues we were having. So, Amanda, just sending you love and gratitude for getting us on the air and, and making sure that this discussion happened. It's been really, really great, and we're really thankful for you. Yes, thank you, man. It was a great show, ladies. So oh, good there job. she is. Sorry about the beginning. There was a, I had a misdial, and then um, during the show, it was good timing. I wasn't on. My heat's not on, so I'm scrambling in the background trying to fix that, and it's not working. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Well, you have all kinds of things going on. And still, yes, you put I've been listening the whole time, and it was really a great show. Great advice, and thank you all very much. Thanks, Amanda. Well, we're out of time, so I'm going to close out the show. And as always, we'd like to direct all of our listeners to our parent organization, ShiningStrong.org. Once there, you will find links to all of our resources, including the show, The Bubble Hour, the fabulous website, Crying Out Now, my own recovery blog, Unpickled. And if you'd like to go directly to The Bubble Hour's website, that's thebubblehour.com. And there you can listen to our shows directly, or you can follow a link and subscribe to our podcast, and they will magically show up on your phone or your uh, your um, iPod, wherever you want them to be. That's where they'll go, and you can listen as you go on Monday morning. We want to thank all of you for listening to the Bubble Hour, and we hope you have a great evening. Good night, everyone. Have a great night, ladies. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.